Uh, before I begin the sermon, I need to say that at a, pri- at a prior church, it is true that um, before we took down our bouncy inflatables, I did have some fun, all right? So I'll just say that, all right? So maybe at the end of the time tonight, if I have a chance, a window, I might jump a little bit and run a little bit and have fun. Um, it's amazing how God just brings everything together with worship and the word, the songs, it all just fits so beautifully. Um, the theme, obviously, this morning's peace. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel all tell us the same story. That one day Jesus was with his disciples and he said to them, let's get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. They all get in the boat and Jesus falls asleep in the boat. Then a mighty storm comes up, and the wind is blowing, and the waves are so big they're crashing into the boat, and, and Jesus is asleep, and his head's on a pillow. At this, the disciples are afraid, and they wake Jesus up and say, Lord, don't you care? We're going to perish. So Jesus wakes up, and he rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea, peace be still, and the wind died down, and everything became calm. And then he asked his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The disciples were afraid and astonished, amazed, asking each other, Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We're going to find the answer to that question that the disciples asked in the book of Isaiah. So turn there if you have your Bible. If you don't, there are Bibles in the pews. There's also the scripture on the screens behind me. In your worship guide, there's an insert that has the scripture references as well so you can follow along. Those gospels tell us the same story of the calming of the sea where Jesus said, peace be still. The disciples were afraid twice in the boat. The first time they were afraid in the storm and they were afraid after the storm too. They were afraid at who in the world is this person in the boat with us that even the wind and the waves listen to him. Isaiah chapter 9 Verses 6 through 7 tell us who this man is. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A child was born. A son was given. We know that his name is Jesus. But hundreds of years before, Isaiah gives some other names by which he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the Prince of Peace was in the boat with the disciples. While the wind was moving quickly and roaring, the waves crashing into the boat, there in the boat, in perfect peace, asleep, was the Prince of Peace, Jesus. 
He could say, peace, be still, because as the mighty God, he created the wind. He created the waves. They have to obey his sovereign voice. This child who is born, this son who is given to us, is the prince of peace. He's still the prince of peace. You may notice here, um, to my left, your right, this wreath with five candles. Last week, we lit the candle of hope. As we prepare for the coming of Jesus, this morning the candle of peace has been lit as we prepare for the coming of Jesus. The night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 2. There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. There were scores of angels, a choir that sang to a bunch of shepherds in a field. What do they say? What do the shepherds hear? Luke 2.14 tells us. They hear glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels give glory to God in the highest, and the angels also proclaim peace on earth. They are proclaiming that Messiah has come, bringing with him to the world peace. I have two points this morning. Here's the first one. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, comes to bring reconciliation. He comes to bring reconciliation. So what is the greatest need of every person on this planet? If we were to ask people that question, you get lots of different answers, but the greatest need for all people in this world is reconciliation with God. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to be brought into a proper relationship, to have peace between two individuals. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, we'll be in Romans 5 for a little while, we'll flip over to Colossians 1, so turn there. But Romans 5 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification there is a word that means a right standing with God in almost like a legal sense that when God sees us, we're right in His sight. In other words, there's no more need for reconciliation because through Christ there is peace that has been made. Look at Um, Colossians 1. Keep your finger there in Romans 5. Look at Colossians 1. When you come to verse 20, the context there is Jesus. That's the, the, the uh, the pronoun him is talking there about Jesus. In verse 20, Paul says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So reconciliation has been accomplished how? By the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now verse 21 tells us about our state before we reconciled. It says that we were alienated. From God. It says that we were hostile in our minds, doing evil deeds. Yet, despite where we were, God has reconciled us. How? Verse 21 In his body of flesh, by his death, Jesus died on the cross for us, making peace with God, bringing us to God, reconciling us to God. And we didn't deserve it at all because we were alienated, hostile to God, evil. Back to Romans chapter 5. 
We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Look down from verse 1 to verse 8. Verse 8 really is a verse of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the gospel. The love of God we find there. For God so loved the world, he gave his son Jesus. We have his love and he has died for us while we were still sinners because he loved us. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. There's that word again. Being made right with God. How? By his blood. Let's keep going. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, that's not a very popular phrase. Wrath of God in, in any culture. No one wants the wrath of God in their life. Look at verse 10. For if, we, if while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So in Colossians 1, 21, Paul says we are alienated, hostile in mind, evil in our deeds. He goes even beyond there in Romans 5, verse 10. He says we're enemies. Now, God has not declared war on humanity. We're enemies... With God, because we are born sinful by nature, by choice. In fact, when God made the first man and woman in his image, he said it was very good. Yet the first people, in essence, declared war against God, saying, God, we don't have to do what you tell us to do. We'll do what we want to do. We're going to do it our way. We're going to eat the fruit that we want to eat. We're going to live our lives the way that we want to live them. We don't need you, God. And that was a declaration of war, of rebellion. And it severed this right relationship with God. Therefore, there is now need for reconciliation. God's not at war with us. We've been at war against God because of our sinfulness and our rebellion. But the good news of the gospel is that while we were enemies, while we were still sinners, we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. Much more, we're saved by his life as well. He's risen from the dead. Look at verse 11, Romans 5. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've received it. It's already taken place through Jesus Christ. You and I must receive that by faith. And we're right with God for all eternity. It's the good news of the gospel. Now on the screens behind me, there's an image I want you to see. And it's called the bridge illustration. And you'll notice there the chasm between us and God. And there's only one way to get across that chasm is only one thing that will bridge the great divide between us and God because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion, and it's the cross. It's Jesus making peace for us by the blood of his cross, and then we can cross over and be reconciled with God and be at peace with him. That's the greatest, most important meaning of peace that we need to understand this morning. Is that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to bring reconciliation with God. But more than that, Jesus the Prince of Peace has come to bring peace or reconciliation between people who are divided. He comes to bring people together as one. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. But I'll tell you a story as you turn there. A story about two brothers. And they grew up and, and cared for one another. But in time, as they became adults, they grew apart. And they had a lot of anger between one another and, and bitterness and unforgiveness. And uh, the sad part was that they lived right next to each other. Their land, in fact, touched. And so the older brother against the wishes of the younger brother, dug a big hole, a big creek in between their land and filled it with water to say basically, your side's over there, my side's over here. They didn't talk. They didn't like each other. It was a bad situation. Well, there was a traveling builder, a handyman who was looking for work, who came into town, and he went to the younger brother's home and asked him for work to do. Younger brother says, yeah, by the way, I, I've got some work for you to see. Look out there. You see that creek between my land and that land there, that house there? That's my older brother's house. He didn't ask my permission to cut into my land and build this creek. I want you to build a wall, a big wall, so I don't have to look at his property anymore, so I don't have to ever see his face again. The handyman said, well, okay, I'll... I'll do what you asked me to do. I'll do, I'll see what I can do. And uh, the brother said, well, I'm going to go away for some business. I'll be back in a few days. I look forward to seeing what you've built. So the younger brother went away. But that handyman, instead of building a wall, actually built a bridge connecting the younger brother's land and the older brother's land. And when the older brother saw this stranger building this bridge, he, he was shocked. In fact, he came down and saw it, and, and his heart was actually encouraged. He thought, wow, my younger brother has taken the first step to bring peace. I, I've wanted for, for so long to actually go to him and try to make things right. I'm the older brother. It's my, my job to lead him and love him, and I, I just I didn't know what to do. But wow, he's taken the first step. He was, he was encouraged and excited. And so the younger brother gets back from his, his business, and um. And he sees the work that the handyman has done. And he's like, well, what have you done? Well, I built the bridge. He's like, what? And, but in that moment, he's looking at the bridge. Here's the older brother. And he's walking across the bridge toward him. And he begins to walk across the bridge to his older brother. And the older brother said, wow, brother, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you forgave what I did with this creek. And, and you just want to make things right. I'm touched. And, and the younger brother didn't have the heart to say, I wanted to build a wall. He just, he kind of went along with it. And he realized Wow, this is cool. And so they, they embraced and they forgave each other and they were reconciled, finally, back to one another. They turned to the bridge builder and said, you know, we've got a lot of work to do in both of our properties. He says, well, you know what? I, I got to go somewhere else because I go to build bridges to connect people. You see, Jesus is the bridge builder. That's what he does. He doesn't build walls. He builds bridges. He connects people together. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we find in the early church the greatest division possible. A people that God had called and set apart. That a whole system of worship and rules and regulations. They weren't even supposed to be around the nations. Yet, we have this Jew-Gentile division. And they're all in the church together. So there's this division. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, look at verse 13. Paul says, but now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. I love that phrase. Killing the hostility. Oh, that someone would just kill the hostility in this nation, in this world, between races, between classes, between political parties, all the division that's out there. Oh, that someone would come to kill that hostility, but someone has. His name is Jesus. And through his cross, he wants to reconcile to himself and make one beautiful body, the body of Christ. So Christ has come to bring peace, to make reconciliation with God. And Christ has come to bring peace with other people. It's only through Jesus that it can happen. But as we sang together, peace be still. There's another type of peace that I want to kind of conclude our time together with. It's this idea of, of inner calmness, of tranquility that you have when things may be going crazy all around you, yet you're being held together on the inside. So in every situation you can say, it's, it's well with my soul. How do we find that kind of peace? It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from others. It comes from the Lord. Second point, the supernatural peace we long for comes only from the Lord. That's the only place we're going to find it. Now, I've chosen several scriptures. I've put them in your bulletin insert. These, I believe, are the most important scriptures in the Bible to help us walk in and experience this peace. As Beth said, that we have to receive. I'm just going to read these scriptures and ask a question about each one and answer the question, all right? John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Whose peace is given to us? Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I know we're stopping in the middle of the fruit of the Spirit. I get that. But what produces the fruit of peace in our life? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes peace in our lives. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Who is the one who keeps us in perfect peace? The Lord God. He keeps us in perfect peace. Ephesians 2, 14, the first part of that verse, part A. We just read this. For he himself is our peace. Who is our peace? Jesus. It's not just that he gives us his peace. He himself is our peace. Romans 5, 1. We've also read this one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? It's through Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Whose peace is it that we're to let rule in our heart? The peace of Christ. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So whose peace will guard our hearts and minds? The peace of God. Where is this peace found? In Christ Jesus. Does this peace make any sense? No. <laughs> it surpasses all understanding. I don't know about you. I, I want this kind of peace in my life. I want to have this kind of internal strength, calm in my life. I believe you want it as well. How do we get it? Well, going back to the, the idea of reconciliation. If you and I want this kind of peace in our life, it's only going to come after peace is made between us and God through faith in Jesus Christ. Until you settle that, you're not going to have that peace on the inside. You've got to come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, to quote an eagle song, <laughs> you're not going to have that peaceful, easy feeling apart from Jesus. It's through Him. Secondly, we have got to be reconciled with others. If we're not at peace with other people, then it's impossible to have true godly peace on the inside. So how, how do we get, what is that, not being right with others? It's simply holding grudges, not forgiving someone else, having bitterness toward them. If this is you... <laughs> You cannot have God's supernatural peace until you do whatever you've got to do to make things right. Now, I get it. Reconciliation's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You've got to do your part. Forgiveness can be a one-way street. You can choose to let it go. Whatever they've done against you or your loved one, you let it go. And you're going to automatically sense God's peace in your life. Now, they may choose not to let it go against you. They may choose not to reconcile with you. So what you've got to do is your part. You let it go. You do what you can to live peaceably. And you no longer have that boundary keeping you from God's supernatural peace. So we want this peace that comes from God alone. We've got to have it through Jesus Christ. We've got to have peace with others. Then it's possible to have this peace on the inside. All right. So how do I do it? Well, those scriptures I read for you, I just want to, to close our service, my sermon, by just applying those scriptures. All right? Keep this bulletin insert with you in your Bible. Keep it because all of us need peace. How do we get this peace? Receive. First, receive the peace of Jesus in your life. It's his peace. Just say, Jesus, I've received you as Lord and Savior. I have, I have peace with others. I just want your peace. I receive your peace that's already mine in Christ. Then you let the peace of Christ rule. Once you receive it, you've got to let it rule. Because other things will try to cause it not to rule. You will get yourself back on the throne of your life and you'll start, and I'll start making decisions and choices that will remove Christ's peace. We've got to let the peace of Christ rule. Let Jesus reign as Lord. 
Then we've got to continually be controlled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, and watch Him produce more and more peace in our lives. It's His fruit. This is critical. We have got to then set our minds on the Lord. Put our trust in God. And He promises to keep us in perfect peace. When we're not kept in perfect peace as Christians, it's because we're not thinking about God. We're not setting our hearts on Him. We're not. We're worrying. We're making it about ourselves. And we are losing that peace that He promises to give us. This is huge. We've got to repent of our anxiety and our worry. You may say, well, I'm a worry wart. Well, it's sinful. The Bible calls it sinful. We must repent. Turn from anxiety. Turn from worry. Replace it with what? Prayer. Philippians 4, 6. With prayer. And as we pray, which is, by the way, is the most important way to set your mind on God, is prayer, along with reading His Word. As you pray, as you read His Word, then claim that promise, Philippians 4, 7, that the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's so good to know that there's a guard and it's God's peace. A sentinel who'll stand watch over your heart, over your mind, keeping you in peace as Jesus reigns in peace in your life, as you receive his peace, as you are filled with the Spirit, as you set your mind on God and trust in God and then pray and put your mind on God, he promises peace. You can have it. Pastor, I don't have it. Have you repented? Have you turned from those thoughts, those worries? It has to take place. You've got to replace that with trust in God. I want to invite our our praise team to come back up to sing our final song. They're going to sing a, a hymn that's been kind of revised. Speaking of how we can declare that it is well with my soul. And that really is the statement of a person who has true peace. And if you know the, the, the story behind the author who wrote It Is Well With My Soul, he experienced tremendous tragedy in his life. Yet in the middle of the tragedy, this person, this man, could say, it is well with my soul. That's, that's not a normal thing to say. But you can be supernatural through the power of the Holy Spirit today and have that perfect peace on the inside. So as the band leads us, three steps that we can take this morning. Maybe this morning, it's time for you to have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's time for you to get right with God through Him. It's time for you to take that step and say, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you to save me from my sins, to save me, to take up the lordship of my life, to reign as my king. I'm turning from my sin. I'm repenting of it. And I'm trusting in you, Jesus, to save me for my entire life. That's the most important decision that you'll ever make. Secondly, this morning, it could be that you've got issues with other people. Don't we all? Could be others have issues with us. Yet, this morning, you need to make a decision to let that conflict go, to be reconciled, if possible, with that person, to forgive them, to just seek peace in those relationships. Third, maybe you just need peace on the inside. There's stuff in the way, keeping it from happening. You just want to come and pray and talk about how you can have peace. If you come to the altar, we'll have folks that can pray with you. This is the time for us to receive new members in our church, other decisions. Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit of God. Father, I pray now 
that we will listen to the voice of your Spirit, that you would humble us, that we would be willing to respond to the gospel message, that you might bring peace in our relationships, you might bring peace in our hearts. God, help us, I pray, as your church, to be a people of peace, that have a supernatural working of you inside of us that the world can't understand. How are we having peace when we've gotten such bad news at work or such bad news about our health? Lord, I pray that you would just be that peace in our lives. Jesus, we receive that peace. This morning, God, save people from their sins. This morning, God, restore broken relationships. God, bring your peace. Jesus, we need you, Prince of Peace, to bring your peace into our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This mountain that's in front